Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to another episode of the Legal Toolkit right here on Legal Talk Network. My God, has it been hot and muggy in New England this summer, I'll tell you. I feel like a piece of wet toast. But nonetheless, we soldier on here at the Legal Toolkit, and we're glad to have you back for another episode. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. We're about to bend your ears back. I'm your host, Jared Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm also the Senior Law Practice Advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offering, visit our website at masslomap.org. You can buy my book, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers, from the American Bar Association, on iTunes, at Amazon, and probably a bunch of other places I don't even know about yet. Next month, my co-host Heidi Alexander will have you. Here on the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own Legal Toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. And this episode of the Legal Toolkit is predictably no different. Today, we're going to talk about the future of law practice and how you can start to prepare your practice for that future. And to reach that subject, I'm joined by Jordan Furlong. Jordan is a fine Canadian gentleman and partner with the consulting firm of Edge International and a senior consultant to STEM Legal Web Enterprises. Previously, Jordan, a lawyer, was an editor of three top Canadian legal periodicals. His popular blog, Law 21, Dispatches from a Legal Profession on the Brink, is a multiple ABA Blog 100 honoree and a good read for you. Jordan's a frequent speaker for law firms and legal organizations, and his second book, Evolutionary Road, A Strategic Guide to Your Law Firm's Future, was just published by Attorney at Work. That is the subject of this podcast. Now, Jordan celebrates Gordon Lightfoot's entire catalog, but unfortunately, we're not going to be able to talk to him too much about Gordon Lightfoot today. In any event, welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks very much, Jared. It's great to be here. We're very happy to have you. So let's just jump into the discussion here. Now, you remember that song in the year 2525 by Zager and Evans, big hit back in the day? Now, I'm not going to press your powers of prognostication quite that far, but I'm only going to ask you about the next 20 years which I'd like you to cover in five minutes or less. What do you think the transformation of law is going to look like during that time period, and what's going to be the driving force for that transformation? 20 years and five minutes uh, already. Um, Let's let's start (laughs) from the status quo, Jared, uh, the the one that most of us encountered when we were first called to the bar. Uh, We had a self-governing legal profession with the exclusive right to sell legal services to a relatively unsophisticated client base. Now, that produced a legal system in which lawyers never lacked for work, for the most part. Uh, Clients paid a steep price in both time and money for legal services, and many people were underserved or, frankly, unable to access the system at all. Now, over the past few years, we've seen many of these long-standing foundations start to crumble. Uh, Clients who've been very much hurt by the recession uh, simply can't or won't spend as much on legal services as they used to. Uh, When you see a lot more consumers, especially in litigation, going it alone every day. Uh, We saw new providers enter uh, both the consumer markets with companies like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer, 
uh, and the corporate markets, uh, LPOs and, and companies like Axiom Law. We also see disruptive technology, and it allows machines to finally start doing what lawyers can do, something, by the way, that many lawyers insisted would never happen. Uh, and, and the problem of access to justice became more of, more of a public issue, almost a scandal. And it really forced regulators to start relaxing the rules against non-lawyer providers. And this is where we find ourselves today. So, okay, fine. Now what? <laughs> to my mind, in the short term, and let's see, well, that's the next five to ten years, I think we're going to see a lot more of what we're seeing right now. Uh, regulatory reform, it's going to accelerate. And the end result is that only, I believe, a relatively small set of really advanced legal services will be exclusive to lawyers. For the rest, we'll have to compete with providers, in many cases a lot of providers, from outside the profession. Uh, a great deal of legal work is going to become simplified, uh, systematized, and, and packaged into software or online apps. We'll even start to see industry standards, I think, for a growing number of products and services. Lawyers are, we're going to find ourselves obliged to, to outsource, to automate, and, and, and find ways to delegate basic work to basic providers, which is going to have a massive impact on, on how we price our work and, frankly, how much we make. And overall, there's going to be upheaval, and in some cases, bordering on carnage, to be honest, for lawyers. Much of the AMLAW 200, I think, will be heavily damaged. Uh, many small firms will uh, suffer and maybe even close. And many law schools, I think, are going to uh, be, be, be strongly affected and some will disappear. I, I think what we're going to see is the legal profession shrinking for the first time in memory and I think shrink dramatically. Now, this is all from the lawyer's point of view. For clients, this is going to be great, <laughs> right? This is, this is going to be the start of, of, a, of, of a new <laughs> age of, of, of choice and accessibility in legal services. Now, that's obviously not what lawyers would like to hear, but it's hard for me to see uh, a likelier set of outcomes in the short, in short term from, from present circumstances. Now, the good news, I think, is that in the medium and long term, I can see much brighter developments. And, and to, to go through those quickly, uh, I, I believe that having more providers in the market and an overall lower price points for many services, yes, that's going to be tough on lawyers in the short term. But that's going to finally break open access to the latent legal market, right? The, the legal market that's out there but is, is not being engaged by lawyers. And I estimate that could be anywhere from like eight to ten times the size of the present market. We're, we're going to see high value and highly complex legal matters command, I think, even a higher price than ever. Uh, and only lawyers, and there'll be fewer of us, will be in a position to meet them. We're going to see, along with the latent market opening up, the rise of a new type of law, anticipatory or preventive law. And these would be legal practices devoted to legal risk identification, risk management, and, and legal health regimens. And over the course of time, after, after years of supply outweighing demand, which is what we're starting to see right now already in the law, demand for lawyers is going to grow again and the profession will start to grow with it. I, I think the profession is going to, in a word, it's going to reinvent itself. We're, we're going to open up new careers and and new avenues for value that we simply can't see today. Now, all of this may be too optimistic, I'm quite happy to admit, and it's also quite possible that the, my prior assessments uh, may be too pessimistic. But I'm, I'm telling you, either way, the legal market is going to change. It's going to change dramatically. And it has to because the surrounding social and economic environments in which that marketplace operates, they're changing dramatically. And we as lawyers, we're going to be taken along for that ride whether we like it or not. <laughs> Jordan, you're really toying with our emotions there. We went from carnage 
to regulatory reform, then things seemed like they were good for a second. <laughs> it sounds like your book may be more like the book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has a nice arc to it, at so, least, but there you go. <laughs> so that's a lot to take in, though. So let's ask a, a more basic question, I think, for the listeners out there, and probably an important question for them. Overall, is this going to be a good or a bad thing for lawyers, do you think? Oh, well, in, in the short term, uh, oh, yeah, uh, bad for lawyers. Uh, I, I, I don't see much point in trying to sugarcoat that. Um, painful, frankly, uh, at times. And, and, but, but what's important to keep in mind is that this, this is not a new phenomenon, right? The, yeah. the in, incumbents always, incumbent workers especially, always suffer during times of industry change. And you can go back to the, to the printing press, uh, to the cotton gin, the, the car, you know, bring it up to modern days and like iTunes and Google News. Look at what they did to the music and the newspaper industries. Right? Yeah. When the platform changes, the people who have been standing on that platform, they get thrown off. Um, our normal ways of doing business and making living in the law, uh, which have worked for us very well for any number of years, they're drawing to a close, and I think sharply. But again, in the longer view, I do think this will be good for the profession and good for lawyers. And, and the reason I think that is this, I think we've gotten just too used to just you know, filling out forms and facilitating transactions and the like. And, and that kind of stuff is what has sustained a lot of lawyers' practices for a lot of years now. Mm-hmm. That work is going to be taken away from us one way or another. But I do think it's going to open up new opportunities for us to, to really just dig down and, and, and use our, our best talents and, and, and the things that really drove us to go to law school in the first place. You know, our, our intellect, creativity, uh, persuasiveness, strategic thinking, uh, all of those things, and, and, and will allow us to provide what I really believe are going to be higher quality and higher value solutions to, to problems. And, and also, I think, maybe even more importantly, to opportunities that very few of us are, are tackling today. Boy, I thought everybody likes filling out forms. All right. <laughs> Let's get down to it for sole and small firm attorneys, because I think that makes up the base of this podcast audience. What's going to happen for these folks? Solos and small firms. Uh, to my mind, I think there's, there, there's a distinction that we need to make. Um, and, and it's one that for a number of years, we, we have tended to uh, use two terms fairly interchangeably. And one is small practice, including solo, and general practice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, this isn't surprising, of course, because most general practices have always been uh, situated in, in small firms or with solo. So you can, you can see that. But I do think they're going to diverge uh, over the course of time. I see very little future for the, for the legal general practice, and that is a, a lawyer who does a little bit of everything, but mostly does you know like real estate, wills, a business incorporations, a straightforward business work, a little family law, that that sort of thing. Because yeah. most of the work in these areas is just going to get vacuumed up by by I think eventually huge corporate providers. I think LegalZoom is only a taste of what we're going to see in this area. Um, and, and law firms that depend on these areas, I, I think that a lot of them are just going to disappear. But to my mind, there is nothing that says a solo or a small firm lawyer has to be in general practice. And even today, many, many solos and small firm lawyers are, are, are not in general practice. A lot of them already have established and niches for themselves. And I, and I can see a very bright future for, for those lawyers who are in these niche or, or narrow fields uh, in, in high value non-outsourceable, for lack of a better term, areas. Yeah. Because fundamentally, solo or small is a great way to run a professional practice, right? I mean, you've you got low overhead, you've got agility, um, you, you, get, you have the ability to collaborate and, and build teams, you've got independence. 
Um, you can use technology to, to, to market well above your, your, your position in the market through things like social media and blogs and stuff. But for, for me, I can see solos either you know, working completely alone or in these like, portable kind of collapsible teams still being the dominant form of law practice into the middle of the century. That sounds like good news for the folks that are listening, I'm sure. So one of the things that it sounds like solo and small firm attorneys can do to prepare for the future is to develop practice niches and then maybe affiliate themselves with other uh, attorneys in some non-formal ways. What else could solo and small firm lawyers do to prepare for the future? Hmm. I, think, I think the first thing that they're going to have to do, if, if, that you should do if you're a solo or small firm lawyer, you, you got to understand the market in which you're practicing. You know, like really know it inside out. You have to know, okay, mm-hmm. who's my competition, uh, both today and in five years' time? And when, when, we're, when you're answering that question, you have to assume a, a wide open market in which there is no regulatory protection that we're used to from, from state bars and courts and so forth. And we also have to assume mm-hmm. that our competition is going to get better every year, right? Because this is what history has shown us. Um, you know, you take, take a look at LegalZoom five years ago and LegalZoom today, the quality, the quality of our offerings, and it's not just them, anybody who's in this area, has, uh, has constantly grown up. So, so you look at this market and ask, where am I going to be undersold, right? Can I move up the value ladder into areas where, where only I can offer premium services? And, and generally, if, if, you're, if you're a lawyer and you're not sure about how to start answering these questions, I think a really good place to start is to go talk to your clients, right? And ask them about, about their needs and, and, and their limitations uh, and their emerging buying patterns. Because mm-hmm. they will happily fill in the blanks for you. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think the other thing solos are going to have to do is, and, and, and frankly, this, this is something that all lawyers need to do, but I think it's going to be especially acute for, for solos and small firm lawyers, is we've got to get a handle on pricing. Right. If if you're still out there billing by the hour, <laughs> stop. Okay. And and for one very simple reason, very soon you're going to be the only competitor in a very crowded market who cannot tell clients what the product or service is going to cost them. Okay. You got to analyze your cost of doing business, uh, streamline them if to the extent that you can, and identify how they connect to your services, and and translate all of that into a to a flat ideally or or at least like a flexible fee structure. Yep. Now, I'm not saying lower your rate, okay? Because I think, if anything, many solos underprice their work because they don't yep. appreciate sometimes all the value that they provide. And I think for me, that's the real problem with the billable hour. Not that it hurts clients, you know, per se, which I think it does, but I think fundamentally, at the end of the day, it, I think yep. it hurts lawyers more. Good stuff, Jordan. Now, now, if I could only get my gasoline provider to move from a per gallon rate to a more alternative fee, <laughs> I'd be feeling good. Um, you need your own show on the History Channel, I think. You're a regular Nostradamus here. Um, now, we've covered a lot, and that'll be the break for the first part of our program here. But we've got a lot more to get to in the second half of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Jordan Furlong about the future of law practice. This is normally the space in our show when we offer words from our sponsors. And this potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. The Legal Toolkit is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. If you're interested, contact the team at logical at info at logical.com. That's L-A-W-G-I-C-A-L dot com. And if the folks at Sather's Candies are listening, they could certainly sponsor the show and send me a ton of packages of gummy worms. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. 
Welcome back. We're joined today by Jordan Furlong of Edge International and STEM Legal Web Enterprises. We're talking with Jordan about the practice of law and how it might look in 20 years. Will everyone be wearing Google Glass? Only Jordan knows for sure. (laughs) So when we left off, we were talking about solo and small firm attorneys. Uh, But what should law students and law schools that serve them be doing in anticipation of your future, Jordan? Wow. Uh, (laughs) I think we need an entire separate podcast to talk about law schools. (laughs) We can always do a sequel. (laughs) I I think we may have to because it's such a huge area. Um, (laughs) Here's what I can say in in what we have available. I I think law schools, honestly, have already entered the crucible, right? They're they're now experiencing uh, almost like a 50% decline in applications from from the levels of from a decade ago. And and I see still a lot of law schools are, are frankly, still in denial about this, as we've seen from a number of op-eds published recently, um, and many others. And this is this is kind of sad to see, but they're they're almost abandoning their standards and and their missions in order to keep their admission numbers afloat by any means they can they can grasp. And I think these are the schools that have a very good chance of being much diminished and maybe even gone with within the next decade or so. You remember when we first back when we first went to law school? that first day and we got that line about, you know, look to your left and look to your right and only one of you will be here in 10 years. You know, I, <laughs> I, I think there's a certain harsh justice to the fact that we are almost in a position to be able to say that to law schools today. Yeah. Rather, yeah. kind of a cruel yeah. irony. Um, now, for, for all that, I mean, some schools do get us. More, more schools than I think get credit for. And they, they do yeah. recognize that this is a changing market. And that the traditional law school model, through no fault of its own, it's just, it just ran out of steam. Um, it, it fails to meet the needs of today's and tomorrow's lawyers. Uh, you know, since this, since this is a, a Massachusetts podcast, I, I want to put in a brief plug here for Suffolk University School of Law in Boston um, as a good example, because uh, Suffolk, they're developing streams that will produce lawyers who can serve middle-class clients. Uh, they've recently opened up an Institute of Law Practice Technology and Innovation. And full disclosure, I'm going to teach a course there, an intercession course next January. So, and, and that's just one example among, among many. So, so my message to law schools would be, look at what the innovators are already doing, right? Look at Suffolk uh, and Washington and Lee uh, and Indiana, uh, she was Arizona State, uh, Stanford's doing some interesting stuff, Law Without Walls, based at University of Miami. Take a look at what all these, yeah. these innovators are doing, because fundamentally, if they can do it, you can too. And I think you better be pretty quick about it. Um, and, and as far as law students go, I think very briefly, my advice would be, look, your legal career has already started, right? But, you know, whether, whether this is your first day of classes, you're already starting your career. So I would say spend whatever available time you have uh, acquiring business skills, small business skills, ideally, um, build networks in your planned practice areas and, and, and the jurisdictions in which you figure you're likely to wind up. And, and this is the hard part in a way accommodate yourself in, in your thinking to continuing to lead a student lifestyle for a number of years into your law career. Um, now, that's, none, none of that is happy news. I know that. Um, but but this, is, this, this is triage time, right? It's time, and, and it's triage for law schools and law students both. Yeah, I tried to forget the first day of law school myself. Um, <laughs> Suffolk does do a great job, and we're located right down the street from Suffolk. Oh. Actually, I talked to Andy Perlman myself quite a well, bit. There you go. Um, but Jordan, of course, we're not only a Massachusetts-only law podcast. We're international, my friend. All right. <laughs> uh, so let's get trippy here. This is the Ray Bradbury part oh, of the podcast. Love that guy. So <laughs> now, 
Here's a big question, given all you've said. Is there going to be a time when machines ultimately take over the jobs of lawyers? Are we looking at a Matrix-style future? <laughs> wow. Um, uh, having, having seen, I've only seen one of the Matrix movies. I haven't seen the rest <laughs> of the three. So maybe, maybe stuff happened in the sequels I wasn't aware of. Um, so so I, I, I'm testing the limits of my pop culture reference. When machines take over lawyers, you didn't see the Matrix Part 3? <laughs> <laughs> I might, if, if the machines will allow me. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fond of saying, uh, and I've been saying this for a while, the problem is not machines learning to do what lawyers can do. The problem, to my mind, is that lawyers continue to do what machines have learned to do. I mean, look at like simple interactive forms and and legal documents, which anyone in any kind of law practice can create today. I mean, those can reduce lawyers' workload, free them up for higher value work. Uh, make the process easier for clients, and in many cases, make it frankly more reliable and more accurate. Uh, yeah. and, and and this could be done. This could be widespread today. And some lawyers and some firms do this, but but many don't. And and, and I have to believe that lawyers resist this primarily because we we, we still operate on a on an effort and time based compensation system, and mm-hmm. and just because we're lawyers, we have this deep set aversion to change of any kind. <laughs> Thing, as I'm fond of saying, we don't we don't we don't like to see the weather change. Um, but, but for all that, I mean, there are some really advanced technologies entering the market right now, and you, you can find them fairly easily. Automated contract creation, um, expert applications that can, that can answer legal and regulatory questions online without the need for a lawyer. Um, or, or, you know, t- take a look at litigation between online dispute resolution and predictive coding. I mean, I look at those two and I think, they've got a really good chance of leading an evisceration of the litigation bar over the course of this decade. Hmm. So, I mean, if the question is, will technology completely replace lawyers, then I think the answer has to be no, Uh, unless unless the lawyer in question is is, is pretty bad at what they do. Um, (laughs) But but I do think it's going to displace us. It's going to displace us from the work that we routinely assumed was was ours. Uh, And frankly, it's going to force us to go and find something else to do, something that's higher value, something that is hopefully, for a while at least, uh, outside of the, uh, of the bailiwick of, of technology. So, Jordan, you make some compelling points, I think not only through this podcast, but through your blog and your book and other outlets. But say we're sitting here 20 years from now doing a podcast on a space station, and you're dead wrong about all this <laughs> stuff. What would have had to have happened differently than what you suspect will happen to bring about that result? You know, other than a lightning bolt striking a clock tower at precisely 10.04 p.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> there he's on that. I watched Back to the Future this weekend. <laughs> that's about that's a pop culture reference I can get. Excellent. That's, that's right. In my that's, that's my wheelhouse. Um, that's that's a great question, Jared. Um, I would say that two things would have happened with you know if if you know if over the next ten twenty years I improved entirely wrong about all of the foregoing, um, which you know always within the realm of possibility. Um, I would say two things would probably have happened. The first would be the, the overall failure of new marketplace entrants, and, and, and this includes like everything from, from LegalZoom to LPOs to Axiom to advanced technology, all the stuff we've been yeah. talking about and much more. They, just, they, they have failed to deliver on their promise in terms of their quality and their resilience and their scalability and all these things. Because if the market pressures don't exist, lawyers simply will not yeah. change what they do. And I would say the second thing would, would be if, if lawyers, and this would be against my expectations, but it is still possible and maybe even plausible, 
if lawyers manage to completely stonewall the effort currently underway to liberalize the legal market. Okay? I'm, I'm not saying deregulate the legal market, that would, that would be disastrous, um, but, but liberalize it. Uh, legitimize and authorize non-lawyer provision mm-hmm. of legal services. don't like the term non-lawyer, but it's yep. a term of art. I'll use it here. If, if lawyers collectively can manage to successfully lobby the courts and, and the state bars to, to resist all these trends, then yes, I think these changes will be postponed anyway until the next major social crisis, the next, the next version mm-hmm. of Lehman Brothers going down. But you know what? It, that will only be a temporary delay. And I think more importantly, it's going to be a hollow victory, you know, because these changes are coming. Sooner or later, they're going to come. And if we delay our response to them now by holding them at bay for a while longer, number one, we're going to continue to hurt clients and we're continue to hurt society in general because they're putting up with a, a legal system that is, that is operating well below capacity and, and, and well below need. But I think more, more so we're going to hurt ourselves because, because we need this. We need this crisis and, and this crucible time so that we can rethink and reconfigure what it means to be a lawyer. This, this is a difficult time. There is no question about that. And, and I don't in any way underestimate the, the upheaval that mm-hmm. we're all going through. But I really believe if we just put this off for another five or 10 or 15 years, then I think the next crisis won't just be, don't, it won't just be challenging. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be devastating. I, th- I think now is the time for us to grab this. This is, you know, the old, you know, the old saying, which is actually not true at all. The Chinese have the same word for crisis and opportunity. It's, it's not actually true, but it's a, it's a lovely <laughs> urban myth and it's a nice illustration. But, but this is basically it. Um, to, uh, to, to quote Robin Manuel in a different context, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. I would hate to see us waste this crisis. I think now is the time for us to, mm-hmm. to act on it and start making a future that we like rather than having the future made for us. See, you put a positive spin on that. There you although, go. Although I didn't hear anything about a money-back guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Jordan, this has been delightful. Thanks a lot. It's been a real edific- edifying experience, both, I think, for myself and the people listening. Now, that'll just about do it, though, for this episode of Legal Toolkit. Remember, however, that you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So, again, thank you, Jordan Furlong of Edge International and STEM Legal Web Enterprises for taking the time to drop by our virtual studio. So, now, Jordan, if any of our listeners want to find out more about what you do and how you do it, how would they go about doing that? Well, thank you, Jared. Uh, you, you, can find, you can find me online at uh, law21.ca. Uh, that's the blog. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, fairly relentlessly, at uh, uh, Jordan <laughs> underscore law twenty one. And I'll, I'll be in Boston next January. So there you are. Awesome. Check out Jordan for the future and the present uh, with respect to law firms. Thanks again, Jordan. And thanks everyone out there for listening online. Take care. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.